Welcome to Left Out, reality-based independent radio broadcasting on WRCT 88.3 FM and podcasting on the World Wide Web at leftout.info. Left Out discusses the news from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. I'm Bob Harbour. I'm Danny Slater. And today's program is produced as ever by Matt Horniak. Listeners are invited to uh, call the program at 412-268-9728 or to send electronic mail to bob at leftout.info. We'll be monitoring the email during the show. A little bit later after today's guest, we'll have a, a quiz for our listeners, so we're hoping uh, you'll call in and uh, participate. Some announcements for today, Danny? Yes, um, announcements. Yeah, a couple of announcements. Just uh, one reminder is that uh, we're now broadcasting um, Law and Order, sorry, Law and Disorder, on Monday mornings after Democracy Now! at 9 o'clock. Uh, it's an excellent program. I've, I've been presenting it on WRCT, and uh, it's got really great content in it. So that's uh, Law and Disorder, 9 a.m. Monday mornings. Um, also, uh, remember to listen to our uh, sort of uh, sibling program on other Tuesdays uh, called Your Health. Interesting interviews about um, health sciences, mostly interviewing local people here in Pittsburgh, um, scientists, doctors, and so on. And then um, on Sunday nights, there's a program called The World Revealed, 6 o'clock, and uh, that program also discusses science. And um, last program I listened to was an excellent program about the science of dating, which I thought was pretty interesting, and uh, hopefully that'll be, lo- that'll be uh, podcasted so we can listen to that one in full. Also, um, another announcement of not local but a um, national level, there's a program called Hacking Democracy. It's, it's an HBO documentary featuring Bev Harris about the vulnerability of our voting machines. And um, it's uh, promises to be a really great um, documentary, and it's going to be on 9 o'clock on Thursday night this week uh, on HBO, for those of you who have cable and HBO. One other announcement, um, we have a guest. Um, well, we're planning to have a guest. Is he, is well, he yes, a, we have, we have a guest um, named Bill Morgan. He's um, uh, an, a, a scholar and a writer, and he's... Uh, written a book about Allen Ginsberg, um, and uh, he'll be also lecturing on Friday at the Warhol Museum at 8 o'clock um, about the life of Allen Ginsberg. Um, but before we get to, to our guest, let me just give a teaser for uh, the, 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 um, the questions we're going to be asking later on. So there's going to be some questions that uh, we're going to ask the listeners to call in and answer, um, and uh, questions will, will be about recent events and uh, things you may not have been aware of. Um, let me just ask one of the questions and just take a second, and then we'll go to our, our first guest so that the, the viewers, can, the listeners can think about the question. Um, it says, uh, in late October, a poll was taken by a major news organization. One of the questions was about impeaching Bush. People were asked to choose if they thought impeaching Bush should get a top priority, a low priority, or no priority at all, or should not be done at all. And the question is, what percentage picked one and two, that it should be either top priority or low priority? And um, we'll be answering that question, uh, and also hopefully you can call in and give us your answer later on, along with a bunch of other questions that we'll be discussing later on in the program. So uh, right now we'll be um, joined by a, our guest named Bill Morgan. Bill, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. Great to have you on Left Out. So... Uh, this is a, a bit of a, I guess, a tangent from our usual type of topics. Uh, maybe it's refreshing to take a break from the politics and stuff and scandal. Um, so we'll be, so uh, Bill Morgan has is, is written a biography of Allen Ginsberg, and uh, the book is called I Celebrate Myself, The Somewhat Private Life of Allen Ginsberg. And 
you think that Ginsburg's life is taking a break from politics? No one was more political than Alan. Okay, well, okay, I withdraw the comment. <laughs> So uh, the book is being published on the 50th anniversary of the publication of Ginsburg's most famous poem, Howell. That's right. Uh, Fifty years ago, in fact, tomorrow, Howell was published by City Lights in San Francisco. So it's Lawrence Ferlinghetti's bookstore, I think? That's right. Lawrence yeah. Ferlinghetti published it, and he was uh, immediately arrested by the police department of San Francisco for publishing obscene material. And the, the court battle that ensued proved that this was not obscene because it had some redeeming social value. And that opened the doors to other people like William Burroughs uh, and Vladimir Nabokov's books being published. Now, it's interesting to think, too, that 50 years later, after Howe won its case and was proved to not be obscene, that it cannot be read on the radio again. For 30 years, Allen enjoyed reading it with no problems whatsoever, but now FCC rulings have made it impossible for that poem to be read on the air. And the reason is, is there are certain uh, banned words, or? Well, uh, as you know probably better than anyone, the FCC doesn't quite state what the reason is anymore. It used to be that there were seven deadly words that you wouldn't use on the radio. Right. But now it's even much, it's more veiled. It has to be in, indecent, but no one can define what indecency is. So I you're see. running a risk when you do anything if someone in the FCC thinks it's indecent, you could be hit with a giant fine. I had no idea. I'm tempted to read Howl out now together with you. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't think your station would appreciate it, but... Um, we, uh, yes, I know the fines also went up recently because of the recent furor over um, things like um, Janet Jackson and uh, the sort of the power of the, of the right-wing prudes. Um, to uh, putting pressure on all these uh, all these things, so yeah, I think the fine is three hundred and twenty-seven thousand dollars now. Wow, I think WRCT would have some trouble affording that. That's what, <laughs> and that's the fear, and that's what's caused radio stations to self-censor themselves. But the guidelines are not clear, so they're not sure. They want to err on the side of not taking a chance. So tell us, tell us more about your biography. So what uh, what prompted you to write it, and what is your connection to Allen Ginsberg and so on? Well, I worked with Allen Ginsberg for 20 years before he died as his archivist and uh, edited a few of his books. Uh -huh. So in that period of time, I was always learning from Allen and uh, keeping notes, that kind of thing. When he died, it seemed like the time was right to... There had been two previous biographies that went up through most of his life, but to really have a summary of his life and to delve into some of the things that weren't treated in earlier <coughs> books. So give us an example of your angle that, uh, that, uh, that are, might interest our listeners. Well, I, I, Alan, the reason that it's called the somewhat private life of Alan Ginsberg is because Ginsberg was a very open public person. No. He, he was interested in candor. He was interested in revealing his deepest, darkest secrets. He thought that no one should keep things bottled up inside of themselves. Uh, so there weren't secrets to reveal about Alan, but... During uh, uh, when other people were writing, there were there were other people involved, uh, Alan's lovers and people who could be uh, hurt or offended if if certain things were revealed. But now, as times passed, all of those people uh, have have died, and there's no reason not to tell the complete full story from uh, from Alan's point of view and his life story. So. Um uh, one of the things you and I talked about yesterday was maybe reading a little bit of the 
the, of Howl, the poem. I don't know. I, I no, request not. Well, I'm not, <laughs> oh, yes, I, now I'm worried, but I, I think if you just read the beginning, which is probably the most uh, famous part, um, I don't think it's going to be uh, any problem for the station. Right. But um, that might, if you if you don't mind, I, th I think it'd be good to. Especially for our younger listeners who may not realize, I, I would say in many respects it's one of the most famous poems ever written, uh, by, certainly by an American author, and uh, and is uh, instrumental in defining and creating the uh, the whole uh, the whole uh, art form of beat poetry. I would say, is that correct? Right. Yes. It certainly was the the signal poem of the the middle of the 20th century. Um, uh, Alan wrote Howell for a man called Carl Solomon, who he had met when he was, when Alan himself was in the madhouse, and he met another patient there, and they had so much in common that uh, Alan continued to be his friend and wrote to him for his whole life. And this poem is, is addressed to Carl Solomon, and I'll just read the first few lines so your audience shouldn't get too worried here, but it will remind them probably of words that they've heard before. I saw the best minds of my generation, destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn, looking for an angry fix. Angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo in the machinery of night, who poverty and tatters and hollowed-eyed eyed and high sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats floating across the tops of cities contemplating jazz and then he goes on to talk about these people who who he had seen destroyed by the that conservative uh, late 1940s early 1950s environment of america well, it's really, uh, or if for those any of us who, any who, anyone who hasn't read it, or or more importantly heard it, perhaps uh, it's uh, very worthwhile. I'm sure there. I don't know offhand. I'm sure there must be recordings of Alan himself reading this poet, yeah, reading definitely. his poem that you could that you could find. I saw him at uh, Cornell about 20 years ago. He didn't read Howell though, but he was playing a harmonium. I don't know if you might want to pick up on this and uh, doing some of his more uh, recent uh, his recent work at that sure. time. He he read Howell. Uh, only infrequently. He, he didn't want it to become stale, so it wasn't something that he did very often, plus it takes a half hour to read out loud. So right. he, he only did it uh, later in life if he, in a state, if he hadn't read it in that state before. And eventually he read it in all 50 states. Hmm. Uh, but he was very careful about not getting stale in his readings and performances. But he did always begin his performances with uh, meditation and with the harmonium accompanying him as he uh, ohmed or awed. And he, he really brought a lot of people to the idea of Eastern meditation and spiritualism through, through those kind of programs. He became a student of Tibetan Buddhism for the last 25 or 30 years of his life. So, so the harmonium, is that a glass instrument that you, you touch the glasses and it makes this eerie sound? No. Oh, what no, is, it looks no, it's like a, a, it's a kind of a squeeze box. It looks like yeah. a little... Uh, a little accordion kind of thing? It's yeah, kind of an accordion. Uh, I, I know it is in India. I think it may be an Indian instrument. That's where he found it yeah. when he visited India in the early 1960s. Right. I've seen it played at an Indian wedding, for example, uh, I recall. Right. So, so you, are, you are here in town in Pittsburgh, or you will be coming to Pittsburgh for this weekend for uh, a, uh, 
uh, lecture, I guess, at the uh, uh, at the Andy Warhol Museum on Friday. Is that correct? That's right. Friday at eight o'clock at the Warhol Museum. <coughs> I'm looking forward to it. I uh, grew up in near Pittsburgh, and this will be the first time I've come back in probably 20 years. Oh well, it's quite different in 20 years, I can tell you. <laughs> well, I loved it when I was there. So you'll, I, you'll be in for some surprises. <laughs> but the Warhol is a fabulous is a fabulous museum, and I'm uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy visiting that, and I'm sure that many of our listeners will enjoy uh, hearing you and going to uh, hear about your book and maybe uh, thinking, uh, especially some of us older people, can reminisce about uh, Allen Ginsberg and his influence on American American uh, artistic and political life. Great. So, so uh, <clears throat> yeah, Ginsberg was a, well, you said he was a very open person, and it's like I'm looking at this, there's a link to an article, I haven't read your book, unfortunately, but there's a link to an article from Newsday on our website, and it talks about his relationships with some well, maybe this isn't the most interesting or important thing to talk about, and I, you should guide the discussion if this isn't really that great, but he was attracted to men. Um, he was gay, but at the same time, he's attracted to men who were heterosexuals. Yeah, you can imagine that caused a lot of trouble. But apparently he was living with a guy, um, Orlovsky, who was, they were living together, I, but Orlovsky was not gay or something? I, I don't... Right. Well, uh, Peter Orlovsky he met in 1954, and they were companions for the rest of Alan's life. And Peter is still living in Vermont today. Um, but they, uh, they loved each other, certainly. And even though Peter wasn't gay, he, he always thought of Alan as his life partner, as, as Alan did towards Peter. Um, but for Alan, it was a, a very complicated uh, sexual life that he had. I don't think it's that unusual for uh, for gay people, though, to be in lo love with straight men. Um, yeah. And Alan was just doing this 50 years before everyone else. Uh, but it was it was something that that's what Alan was attracted to, and uh, the, he was attracted to Jack Kerouac originally in the 1940s, who was one of his closest friends, uh, Neil Cassidy, who became the subject of Kerouac's books, uh, and, and several other people, and all of those people were straight as well. You, you can imagine it made for some disappointing uh, heartbreaks on Alan's part. So what, what did he do in terms of politics? You said you mentioned that politics was something on his mind. I mean, it sounds, looking at Howell, it sounds more like it's about lifestyle about jazz about drugs about about arguing about literature oh no you have to you have to delve into to it a little more if if you didn't grow up through the 50s and 60s uh, Alan be, became the spokesperson for the counterculture in the 1960s he was the uh, now I'm getting close to 60 and Alan represented uh, everything that we believed in he, he stood for the, uh, basically, he stood for the Bill of Rights in a way that no politician ever would. Allen believed that all people were created equal. He believed that everyone had rights. He believed in uh, all of the things, uh, freedom of speech, that we should enjoy under the Constitution, but maybe we don't. Uh, Allen and the Beat Generation really were the people who gave birth to the free speech movement that happened early in the 60s in Berkeley, which led to the civil rights movement and the freedom writers going to the South. And all of these kind of things led to the sexual revolution, to people looking at drug laws in a different way, although we haven't gone very far in that, 
to the, even into women's liberation. That was a direct growing out of this beat generation search for uh, freedom of expression. Yeah. He, uh, he, he was so political. I mean, there was never a day that went by where he wasn't taking an active part in a in a demonstration against the Vietnam War, let's say, or uh, some cause that he believed in strongly. Uh, Alan was always out there in the forefront, and uh, like I said, he there was a poster of Alan with a, an Uncle Sam hat on that sold hundreds of thousands of copies and was in everyone's dorm room in the 1960s. He was he was our guru. Mm -hmm. So um, we should uh, we should we can start to wrap this up. But I mean, I want to give you a chance. If there's anything that you feel is the most interesting part of his life, or part of your book, or or the best sales pitch for people coming to your lecture on Friday, um, uh, please feel free to uh, to uh, bring it up right now at this yeah, point. Uh, uh, well, let me just I'll I'll read just a few more lines of one of Alan's poems. It's a, it's called Memory Gardens, and at the very end, Alan is talking about his friend Jack Kerouac, and he's writing this poem to Kerouac, and he's saying about his life, and he says, well, while I'm here, I'll do the work. And what's the work? To ease the pain of living. Everything else, drunken, dumb show. And that sort of sums up Alan, too. You, you're born in this world to help people. Everything else is silly. Well, that's a, a nice thought on which to uh, to uh, leave uh, leave you uh, leave the leave the segment of the show. Uh, uh, thank you very much for appearing on uh, on Left Out today, Bill Morgan, uh, author of a new biography of Allen Ginsberg called "I Celebrate Myself: The Somewhat Private Life of Allen Ginsberg." And as we've mentioned, uh, Bill will be uh, giving a lecture at 8 p.m. on Friday at the Warhol Museum, and I encourage our listeners to uh, to attend and uh, check it out. Uh, thank you very much, Bill Morgan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So we will uh, take a brief uh, musical break, and we'll be back uh, in a few minutes' time. And next, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to do a tune that was recorded a few weeks ago, absolutely in the year 1944. I had the pleasure at that time of doing this tune with one and only Dizzy Gillespie, which somebody said was kind enough to mention a few minutes ago. We sincerely hope those of you that do not remember nor recognize this tune, we hope you still enjoy Now's the Time.
I'll bring us back in. Well, welcome back to uh, Left Out. We've been uh, earlier uh, listening to, uh, talking to, excuse me, to uh, Bill Morgan, who's written a new biography of Allen Ginsberg, and we were just playing a bit of uh, Charlie Parker from uh, Bird at the Hi-Hat uh, CD, dating back to I Don't Know When. Uh, maybe Matt will fill us in on that, uh, just as a bit of uh, theme music for the period, I suppose. Um, so what we want to do now in this segment of the show is we have some ideas to, um, we have the idea that we're going to uh, ask you some questions and see whether we can get some answers. You might be interested in the questions we have. The uh, uh, we, we have the, Q, the full Q and A will be posted on the uh, leftout.info website uh, after the show, but it also contains the answer, so it's not linked right now. Uh, you can have a look at it shortly. So, Danny, I think you started out. You had some uh, first one that you yeah, wanted sure. to try out. So let's uh, let's go. Yeah, for it. let me just give the phone number of four one two two six eight nine seven two eight. That's the phone number to call two six eight WRCT to. Uh, to uh, call us with an answer, or you can email Bob at leftout.info. He'll be monitoring the, uh, the email. So uh, here's one question, and maybe we should give a. Well, we should ask a couple of questions, and then if callers start coming in, we can discuss it with the callers. If not, we can just start uh, discussing the questions ourselves. Okay. Um, so okay, the first question. Question one: In late October, a poll was taken by a major news organization. One of the questions was about impeaching Bush. People were asked to choose if they thought impeaching Bush should get one top priority or two lower priority or three not be done at all. What percentage picked one or two? And what organization did that poll? That's the first question. So, what percent, so the question again was what percentage of people in this particular poll by some Th- news organization to be sh- named? Either should impeach that, uh, Bush or... W- should either be a top priority or... Or, or, or a medium a, priority. Or a medium priority uh, as distinct from the third option being not done at all. Right. So that means this is uh, what percentage of the people thought the, this has, should have some priority, let's say, yeah. in, the, in the new Congress, I, I guess, presuming that the Democrats take control. Okay, right. so that's question number question one. one. Question I don't think no- I know the answer to that, <laughs> except by looking oh, well, at the you, uh, web, you, unless I look at the answer to the web Googling, Googling allowed? <laughs> well, that's Googling the problem. Allowed or not, if, Google has ruined all like trivia questions. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, <clears throat> I, I guess you can't stop people from using it. But Well, uh, anyway. Well, there you go. Let's go on to question number two. How many states, uh, sorry, name as many states as you can in which laws have been passed to impede exit polling. So uh, there's several states, and I'll let you uh, call in with the answers uh, about the states that... um, So to be clear about this, what we've uh, recently come across is a news item that said that some states, two in particular, that just so happens to be two that you might guess, uh, have passed the law recently outlawing exit polling, which generally seems to mean asking people a question about how they voted within something like 100 yards of the polling place. They don't actually... So let's say outside the door, like I voted at the JCC, so it would be, for example, uh, outside the door of the JCC on on the public street. That would be disallowed. Right. If it were in Pennsylvania. Uh, We'll say straight away, it's not yet Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, So... um, well, that's one. That's the so, question what, number two. What, okay, you can ask some more. But I was wondering, by what conceivable reason could there be to ban specifically ban exit polling? So maybe that we can yeah, put well, that as part is, of the question. Why is that a top priority? That's, <laughs> why that's, that's, and why yeah, is that the okay, most important thing for state legislatures to be doing at this moment? You might right. ask, and then you might try to guess the states. I bet you could guess them. Our listeners can call in with speculation as well about why they uh, think this is happening. Um, Again, the number is 412-268-9728. 
Question number three. What well-known newspaper column? Well, you want to do this one, Bob? This is oh, we could do. Yeah, up with. go ahead. So, name the uh, well, a well, a very well-known, very, very well-known, widely read, widely publicized newspaper columnist working for a very well-known newspaper. Said the following two years ago. He said the, uh, which I will read shortly. Two years ago, he said this, and he said it about who? And I would like to know who who he said it about. And, and for bonus, what newspaper did he work for at the time, and what newspaper does he work for now? So here is the quote. Anyway, I do think my judgment is superior to his, referring to the person we're asking, who is this about, when it comes to the big picture. So I have an idea. Since he doesn't want to debate anything except his own brilliance, let's make a bet. I predict that Iraq won't have a civil war and that it will have a viable constitution and that a majority of Americans and Iraqis will, in two years' time, agree that the war was worth it. I'll bet $1,000, which I can hardly spare right now. This way, neither of us can hide behind the clever word play or CV reading. So this was two years ago, a very well-known newspaper columnist in a very well-known, who writes for a very well-known newspaper, said this about someone. I wonder, see how, how, how good you are with political trivia. Has he paid up yet? No fair Googling. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you can find this out in one second if you, uh, with just uh, typing it in. Well, actually, I think <clears throat> it's all right. They, if people want to Google, that's true. That's better, better to do that and, and then to not call at all. <laughs> um, so uh, has he... Is he paid up the bet yet? Or ah, well, let's discuss we'll, we'll that. We'll discuss in that later. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. Let's let's skip to skip number, number five because number four, number four yes, requires okay. a reading a long bit of letter. Time. Which we'll we'll right. do that in a moment. Okay. Do that later. Mm-hmm. Um, let me go ahead. And I'll I'll do number five and then okay. Question five: Who refused to air commercials on the public airwaves for a film on the grounds that the ads quote are disparaging of President Bush, and who claimed that the ads Oh, sorry, <clears throat> and who claim to bar ads that, quote, deal with public controversy. And what is the ad for that they were barring? And this is a recent thing. This happened just in the last This week is a recent two. thing, yeah, in which, um, uh, yes, there's uh, someone there was, refused to air commercials on the grounds that they're disparaging to President Bush. Interesting. So you're not allowed to air commercials that are disparaging to President Bush. That's interesting. And hey. they, they claim they have a general policy that they don't, uh, they bar ads that deal with a public controversy. So, uh, hmm, so that's interesting. They also claim that they don't put any, any ads on television to deal, that deal with a public controversy. So who said that? So uh, our producer just... Uh, he answered one just of them. He gave us the answer of one of them. Sort of. So, so uh, we, um, we're waiting for calls at 412-268-9728 on any of our, any of our questions, uh, one, two, three, or five. Um, Bob, do you want to go ahead and take take a question stab at number, number four? four? So, question number four. Yeah, this requires this uh, requires some uh, some setup. So, while you're thinking about these, uh, I would say somewhat lighter questions. I uh, also have a rather a serious question uh, that requires uh, some some setup in order to uh, in order to ask it. So, the question is going to be: Who wrote what I'm about to read? About whom and why? Okay, that is the uh, so that's pretty simple. Are you going to change uh, the, some of the words? Uh, yeah, I'll be. I'll try to be careful as I read it because the the majority of it there is one or two things that that could that would gratuitously 
reveal the answers to the question. But I wonder, what I'm really wondering is, uh, my real question, to be quite honest about it, is I wonder whether how many of our listeners have actually read this and know about it and, and have read it themselves. And so actually what I really would like to accomplish here is to, uh, is just to read this out. <laughs> but it, putting it, putting our answer in the form of a question, we'll say, uh, who, who wrote this? Who did he, who did he write it about? It is a he, who did he write it about and, and why? So he points out that he's, uh, he's referring to, um, to someone who says that this person's birthday is November 6th and elections are the day after. Gets me thinking about a conversation I had with this person before we joined the military. He spoke about the risk uh, with uh, signing the papers, how, how once we committed we're at the mercy of the American leadership and the American people, and how we could be thrown in, in a direction not of our own volition. How fighting as a soldier would leave us without a voice until we got out. Much has happened since we handed over our voice. Somehow, we were sent to invade a nation because it was a direct threat to the American people or to the world or harbored terrorists or was involved in the September 11th attacks or received weapons-grade uranium for Niger or had uh, mobile weapons labs or WMD or ha had a need to be liberated or we needed to establish a democracy or, or to stop an insurgency or stop a civil war we created that can't be called a civil war even though it is, something like that. Somehow our elected leaders were subverting international law and humanity by setting up secret prisons around the world, secretly kidnapping people, secretly holding them indefinitely, secretly not charging them with anything, secretly torturing them. Somehow that overt policy of torture became the fault of a few bad apples in the military. Somehow, back at home, support for the soldiers meant having a five-year-old kindergartner scribble a picture with crayons and send it overseas, or slapping stickers on cars or lobbying Congress for an extra pad and a helmet. It's interesting that a soldier on his third or fourth tour should care about a drawing from a five-year-old or a faded sticker on his car as his friends die around him, or an extra pad and a helmet as if it will protect him when an IED throws his vehicle 50 feet into the air as his body comes apart and his skin melts into the seat. Somehow the, more sol somehow, the more soldiers that die, the more legitimate the illegal invasion becomes. Somehow, American leadership, whose only credit is lying to its people and illegally invading a nation, has been allowed to steal the courage, virtue, and honor of its soldiers on the ground. Somehow, those afraid to fight an illegal invasion decades ago are allowed to send soldiers to die for an illegal invasion that they started. Somehow, Faking character, virtue, and strength is tolerated. Somehow, profiting from tragedy and horror is tolerated. Somehow, the death of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people is tolerated. Somehow, subversion of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution is tolerated. Somehow, suspension of habeas corpus is supposed to keep this country safe. Somehow, torture is tolerated. Somehow, lying is tolerated. Somehow, reason is being discarded for faith, dogma, and nonsense. Somehow, American leadership managed to create a more dangerous world. Somehow, is a narrative is more important than reality. Somehow, America has become a country that projects everything that it is not and condemns everything that it is. Somehow, the most reasonable, trusted, and respected country in the world has become one of the most irrational, belligerent, feared, and distrusted countries in the world. Somehow, being politically informed, diligent, and skeptical has been replaced by apathy through active ignorance. 
somehow the same incompetent, narcissistic, virtueless, vacuous, malicious criminals are still in charge of this country. Somehow this is tolerated. Somehow nobody is accountable for this. In a democracy, the policy of the leaders is the policy of the people. So don't be shocked when our grandkids kids bury much of this generation as traitors to the nation, to the world, and to humanity. Most likely they'll come to know that somehow was nurtured by fear, insecurity, and indifference, leaving the country vulnerable to unchecked, unchallenged parasites. Luckily, this country is still a democracy. People still have a choice. People still can take action. It can start after this person's birthday. So who wrote this? This is the end of uh, my quotation, so it's a long setup. Who wrote that letter? It's a letter, it's an open letter to the general public, open letter to everyone, including our listeners. Who wrote it? Who did he write it about? And why? What, was, what prompted him to write this letter? Okay, why don't we take a, why don't we take, we have a couple of callers on the line. Why don't we start with Laura? Are you there, Laura? Yeah, I am. Thanks for waiting. Hey, so, I, I wanted to uh, ask if the exit polls are banned in Texas and Florida. So let's uh, have a look here at the answers. Danny, you may know the answer. Well, the, it doesn't, I don't have Texas on my list. Uh, do have Florida. Florida is Florida's correct. Florida's on, Florida's correct. Bingo. You get, okay. You get one for Florida. I don't, now, I, maybe I'm not fully informed. Maybe there we'll, is something. We'll give you the Cupid doll for, for Florida. How many other, which other state, which you, which is, I think, guessable based on general principles, might have banned exit polling, uh, and, and why? Which neighboring state yeah, of ours? Can you think, Laura, can you think of one? <laughs> Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> Oddly enough, Florida and Ohio, two most, just, I have no idea how this could have come about. most trusted in Somehow, the Somehow, Florida and Ohio, along with, along with uh, several others that I think you could guess on general principles, are banning exit polling. Uh, and exit impeding polling, it somehow, impeding exit impede polling uh, for the uh, starting with this uh, coming election. So now, for your bonus, for your bonus question, why on earth might they be doing this, and why is this such a priority? They don't want anybody to know how people actually voted. Yeah, because. That might um, prevent them from cheating. Well, that sounds like a good answer to me, but I, I, I wonder if there are any other answers that we might have. All right. Well, thank you, Laura, for calling in uh, on Left Out. You get uh, several points. <laughs> yeah. Let me just... Uh, I think we have another caller. Danny, go should, should we... Well, okay. We'll leave that quote. We'll leave the rest of those things open right now. Yeah, we'll um, leave them open. And I'll, I'll give the phone number again, 412-268-9728. Uh, we have another caller on the line. Uh, Titus, are you there? Yes, I am. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Now, are you calling to answer a question, or are you calling for some other reason? <laughs> well, I had been calling to respond uh, to the question about impeaching Bush. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't, I don't have the answer for it. But I'm, uh, uh, as you know, from the beginning of this campaign, I'm running for U.S. Congress, and one of my platform things has been to impeach President Bush. So this would be Titus North from the Green Party? That's right. Okay. Uh, so You're running for Congress from which district? The one from the 14th district, which is all of Pittsburgh and large parts of uh, suburban Alabama. And who, are, who is currently who are represented opponents? by? Yes. 
Which is currently represented by Mike Doyle. Mike Doyle, right. I thought he was running unopposed, actually, but he's not. He's running yeah, unopposed well, by you. I think you. he's running unopposed because the press tends to ignore uh, alternative choices. Right. But I, but <coughs> this week you're going to be hearing a lot more from me. Uh, I'm finally breaking through. I've, I'm on WTAE today, this evening, and, and at the 11 o'clock show I've got some ads running, and I'm on uh, the Eleven. Uh, I'm sorry. The Monday night, nine o'clock. Uh, what is it? PCTV uh, cable show. Uh, I'm interviewed for 45 minutes. So All right. So we're going to so we're going to so we're going to quiz you then. So here here are a few things that I think the the correct answers are all rather favorable to your views as I understand them. But let me uh, but let me well, uh, ask them answer, anyway. Were you going to answer the question about the? Oh, were you going to answer? So what percentage of the of the of the polled uh, question polled favorable, uh, favorable population toward impeachment? Were favorable toward impeachment? Well, I'm not sure what it is. I would assume it's there's a, a, a great deal of support for it. I find a great deal of support for it. But I, I'm not saying this because I'm chasing poll numbers. I'm saying this because right. uh, President Bush has violated the Constitution. He's guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors, and he's got to be held accountable. Well, and I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with you. Well, what's what's amazing? How many people? Titus, what's amazing is that yeah. the answer is 51 percent. 51 percent. So I mean, we're, this is you're not is, such an outlier. This is, is our considered point. to be <laughs> this is considered in the mainstream media to be completely outrageous, completely unacceptable, completely fringe position. But it's held by 51% of the population. Okay? What, what, per, what, per, what percentage on the same theme would, uh, uh, would want more investigation of why we went to war with Iraq? Would you like to guess, Titus? Well, I would think it's uh, well over 50%. Yes, it's 77%. So, you know, I think uh, uh, you may be a minor party candidate, but I think you may have a lot more people on your side uh, uh, than, than, you, than you know. So I would, uh, I would encourage you to uh, talk it up. Yeah, and you and go for it. Because we're called minor parties, but we're actually representing a lot of majoritarian views. Okay, so, so we have another caller, I well, think. So if you don't, if you don't mind, well, Titus, uh, wait, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you give one more piece of information. Can you just say again when you're going to be on the TV station, the PCTV Twenty One? PCTV Twenty One uh, this coming Monday night at nine p.m. And uh, any all of my appearances are listed on my website, which is Vote North. Dot org, vote north.org. Super. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks for the call. Let, let me just, we have another caller on the line, but I just want to say one thing before we get to that caller about this poll question. Um, <clears throat> this was a Newsweek poll, and the article in which the, the information, the 51% favoring impeachment, uh, appeared, uh, it was basically polls about Nancy Pelosi's first 100 hours um, mm-hmm. plan, about how, people, how, how much people like all those things. And the way they worded the part about impeachment was as follows. Other parts of a potential Democratic agenda have received less support, especially calls, calls to impeach Bush. So they're trying to downplay, try to downplay. The, the idea that, the, the, that this really large percentage want to impeach Bush. And um, it's a weird way of wording it and twisting it, and they don't ever put the number 51 percent. It's all split up into smaller pieces, so you have to actually you know, add together the different components to figure this out. So it, it, it's, I think it's a surprising statistic, which is being their own... They're, they're they're suppressing, so uh, yes, we have a caller. Uh, what is name? Who who is our caller? Um, Sultan of Circle, Sultan of Circleville. Yes, you're on the air. <laughs> yeah. So my my question, I guess, is I've heard all these these issues with Rick Santorum and and Bob Casey, and I've seen all the ads, and I'm I'm just trying to be an informed voter, and I don't understand how Bob Casey thinks he's going to be able to improve Pennsylvania 
by by decreasing the or excuse me by increasing the minimum wage and by you know increasing the use of labor unions. Well, uh, uh, thanks for that comment. Uh, if you can't understand how increasing the minimum wage for somebody who lives on $5 an hour could improve their lives, then I think there's no point in our trying to answer it. Uh, thanks okay. for calling in. If we have any other callers, do we have any other callers, Matt, on the line? Well, I just want to comment on that, that last call also is that um, in addition to, well, for example, one of the polling results that in the, in the Newsweek poll was that 68% of the population wants to increase the minimum wage. 68%, so, so you're way, yes. You're way out. According on, to Newsweek, 68% want right. to increase so, so, it. So, Wish that to be a top priority, by the way. Yeah, 68% and, yes, want it to be priority. a top priority. Top um, priority. It turns out that labor unions also have uh, a tremendous benefit for workers, as Bernie Sanders has been publicizing, um, where he talks about the fact that uh, union members have much higher benefits, much better benefits, much higher wages, of course. all kinds of tremendous benefits. Much for, better life across the I mean, board. What's happening with the conservatives? Uh, they're trying to destroy the middle, middle, their, the middle class. Absolutely. They're, they're doing it. And uh, this is one of, the, one of the bulwark against that is unions, which have been really, really uh, minimized or destroyed over the last 20 years. So... Um, so any other uh, any other callers? So we had a number. We still have a number of pending questions. One is the other states that have passed uh, uh, prohibition or inhibition of uh, exit polling. So we've had Florida and Ohio. Uh, by our count, there are five more. Uh, we, that uh, I would say there are at least five, but we certainly know of five. You might like to guess what they are, but you can guess them. Um, we have a caller. Oh, we have another caller. So Michael, go ahead, uh, Michael. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you guys? Uh, great. Uh, thanks for calling. Left out. Hey, you know, um, I just heard what you said about the minimum wage, and really, there's not really much of a net effect whenever you raise the minimum wage because prices are going to go up just the same amount, right? So, um, I mean, when you do raise minimum wage, the price level raises just as much. Yeah, because as, really as we know, the prices are determined solely by people earning the minimum wage, and that's the only effect that there is on prices. So, of course, it doesn't do any good. Well, thanks again no, no, for that comment. That's, uh, but, but, Michael, did you call about some other issue? No, I, I mean, you know, it, it's just, it's just why, why do this whenever the, and the prices are determined by people who are making $5 an hour because they're prices of basic goods that they need. It's not the prices of, like, yachts and things that we're worried about here. It's the price of milk, bread, and every other daily essential item that these people are buying just the same as everybody else. Are so, you say, you incre- so you're saying uh, that if you increase the minimum wage to, say, $10 an hour, all that will happen is the price of milk, eggs, uh, flour, that stuff will all double in price. But of course, I, is that increase. what you're saying? I'm trying to understand so, your, so, your, your so, statement. It's a, it's a basic premise of economics. When you increase the supply of money, prices will increase as well. So I presume that you're dead against any tax, tax cuts, particularly for the wealthy, then as well. Is that correct? Sure. As oh. long as we're all paying the same tax rate, I'm fine with it. Uh, well, okay. So uh, good. Well, thanks very much for calling in. Uh, we, we, it's always it's always good to get uh, to get some uh, some input from the far side. Okay. So we have uh, any other callers? We we're going through the questions. We we're talking about uh, the uh, excuse me the exit polling. Okay, and uh, open letter to the open letter that I read an open letter out that I think oh, is nobody, uh, nobody's particularly to the compelling, open really moving. And I wonder if uh, whether any of our listeners Listeners have uh, heard or know who wrote that letter about whom and why. Let me give you a hint about the letter. It's the two people, the writer and the person he's writing about, are both military people. They're both military, yes. In fact, they are, in fact. They're both in the military. In fact, they're both in the Army Rangers, and they both have served in Iraq. So uh, they know what they're talking about. Are you about. sure Iraq? In Iraq, specifically, the- yes. 
Okay. Or, or as opposed I think to it was Afghanistan. or Afghanistan. Well, at least, me, Afghanistan. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Pardon me. Let me check my uh, note here. I think that's okay. Right. Um, we're getting a little running out, of, a little low on time here. So we had um, another another question, which was about uh, who refuses to air commercials on the grounds that they're disparaging to the president, right? Oh or, yeah, and our or that is, they deal with public controversy. We can't allow that. Yeah, our number is four one two two six eight nine seven two eight. So right, we wanted we still have the question about the commercials. We don't have. There's a bunch of states that haven't been uh, who are trying to impede exit polling that nobody's mentioned so far. Um, and we still don't have an answer to the um, oh, for not, almost none of the question. We don't have the the pundit who um, who made a bet two years ago for a thousand dollars. Oh, that's right, thousand dollars. I who, guess we need to start revealing the answers because yes. we don't want to let it hang. We'll have the, to do this. So we have a very well known pundit. Why don't you uh, talk about that? Okay, so a very well known pundit. Uh, last uh, before we get to the other points, who wrote this uh, this uh, made this challenge uh, to someone uh, uh, saying that he would bet a thousand dollars that by now Iraq won't have a civil war and it will have a viable constitution and the majority of Americans will agree that it was worth it. Well, who could be more wrong than the blowhard Jonah Goldberg, who writes for the Los Angeles Times, uh, as usual, with lots of other of these right-wing nutjobs, were categorically, systematically, consistently wrong about the Iraq War and about our policies uh, in, in dealing with Iraq and dealing with uh, dealing with the uh, the infamous 9/11 attacks. And, and he's bet a thousand dollars to Juan Cole, who writes for Informed Comment uh, website uh, blog. He's a Middle East expert from the University of Michigan, uh, who actually knows what he's talking about. Has been consistently correct. Um, Is that because I, I'm willing to bet that Jonah Goldberg has not sent him a check for a thousand dollars. Although I don't know, I don't know whether he has, but something tells me that he'll find some way to weasel out of this, because you see, in the, in right wing pundit land, you're never wrong. There's never, there's never, they're never wrong. Uh, they're they're always they're they're always right. We've talked about this before and left out. So the, the other point is, is that oh, so not only was at, he at the time uh, an employee that he made this challenge of the Los Angeles Times, but he's still an employee, they're not uh, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. And I mention that because Robert Shear, who used to be a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, who wrote very critically and disparagingly of our policies in Iraq, who has consistently been correct on the issues, was fired and is now running his own uh, website, uh, which is called Truth. Truthdig.com. You might want to have a look at Truthdig. So yeah. that's our uh, our columnist. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Uh, who thinks that uh, you cannot run ads disparaging to the president on the public airwaves, the airwaves that you and I own, the airwaves that we allow these corporations to use to make vast sums of money? Who will not allow? Who will yeah, not disparaging uh, to Bush. ads that are ads that are disparaging of President Bush in the opinion of whoever it is who is running their advertising department? Well, that would be NBC. Uh, we have a link to. This, as you may know, uh, they were uh, uh, reluctant, perhaps, or possibly refusing to uh, to run an ad for a new movie about by and about the Dixie Chips. Chicks called "Shut Up and Sing." I guess they'll run it if it's called "Shut Up." I think that's the idea. So, uh, so they got they got uh, they're getting rid of them. So the, the other states, the, uh, yes. Oh, by the way, the movie. Just say one thing about that. Uh, it's a <clears> it's about the experience they had when one of the Dixie Chicks. I don't know her name, but. Was doing a, they were doing a, a European tour, and she said something England, about yes. being ashamed from, of, uh, that she was from Texas, yeah. where the president 
Well, I would be too if I were from Texas. And uh, this this apparently caused a huge, did cause a huge uproar on the United States. Uh, One of the things that happened was the Clear Channel. That's right. The corporation that owns thousands of radio stations, over a thousand radio stations in this country. Blackballed them. Blackballed or prevented, stopped their playing all their music and then hosted parties in which all of their people brought their discs and they crushed them under bulldozers. And um, so they were not just, they were not just. uh, cut out by people, pe- individuals who didn't like their position. It was co- the corporate America actually tried to tried to, you know, to get them. Anyway, that's a movie coming out. It's, it's, it should be an excellent film, and I'm looking forward to watching it myself. We have a call from Bill. We have just a couple of minutes left. Couple Bill. minutes remaining. Hey, how you doing? Hi there. Uh, yeah, I was calling about the question since somebody called in an answer. I was listening to it uh, while driving around through the trick-or-treaters in the rain. And, uh, yeah, that was Pat Tillman's brother. It certainly was, Kevin Tillman. And could you tell us a little bit more about what, we what, have a winner. what spurned this? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, basically Pat Tillman was like, at the beginning of the war, they set him up to be like the hero football player who threw away his contract to go to Iraq and defend America after September 11th. Right. So that was the media setup. So he goes over there. Him and his brother signed up together. They go over there. Uh, Pat Tillman gets killed by friendly fire. That's but they, right. don't re- they don't report that. There's this big cover-up about his death. His family you know, has all this legal stuff going on around it. And his brother is disgusted with the whole situation and wrote this open letter basically you know, condemning the administration and the whole uh, uh, you know, s- situation you know, politically and economically. So you are 100% correct. I'm, uh, I'm delighted to hear that you know that. Uh, and I, the only thing I would add is the reason that they, uh, that they didn't reveal or they were reluctant to reveal the true cause of his death was because it was too useful for propaganda purposes <clears throat> to make out that, well, this NFL player... Um, who, as 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 you definitely said, very heroically and unselfishly, uh, gave up uh, his uh, his opportunities in the NFL to defend America, was yeah. sent sent over to Afghanistan and a uh, sent over to the Middle East for a um, you know by uh, by the Bush administration was killed by friendly fire. And, and they, they, they didn't want people it. to know that that he was you know taken out by friendly fire. Yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And they've been doing that the whole time. There's how many six hundred thousand Iraqi dead? I mean, how often do you hear that? You know. Never. Well, thank you, Bill, for calling up. We're just about out of time. One more thing, though. We have to to give the rest of the states that are um, trying to impede exit polling. Uh, I have a list of seven states, Florida, Ohio, Nevada, Georgia, Montana, Wyoming, and Kentucky. And um, it's still a very interesting thing how they uh, managed to... How they put this to the top priority and to justify this, the this most threat against issue. America. The most important well, issue. Exit polling, the biggest threat well, against America. thank you America. very much for listening once again to Left Out. Thank you to Matt Horniak for producing uh, today's program. Please remember to vote in one week's time, and we will see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening.